We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel, and special guest today, Pete Toll. Guys, how we doing? Oh, doing great. Thank you guys for, for having me um, again. As a as a Sixers fan, it's always good to to hop on another um, team's uh, podcast. So, yeah, I like the Sixers for a lot of reasons, but I like Pete more than I like the team as a whole. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I would agree um, with I'll that. Yeah, you. I like Pete more than I like the Sixers, especially after last year's playoff series. But we are talking Nets for Sixers, not actual games. We're comparing, you know, rosters, coaching overall organizations and stuff like that. Before we jump into that, quick reminder, you can find us iTunes, Box Talk Radio, OTG Basketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But let's get it started. We'll start with the guards right off the bat. On the net side, we got Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Theo Pinson, David Nwaba, Joe Harris, who's kind of a guard slash forward, and then also Musa, Jana Musa. Pete, who we got on the Sixer side? So you got Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson. That's your starting uh, backcourt going to be then you've got Ryle Neto, Trey Burke, you've got the two two-way players in Mario Shayok, and um, <clears throat> you've also got Shake Milton, then um, Zara Smith, and last um, but not least, you could really kind of consider Furkan Korkmaz a, a two-guard slash uh, small forward, and then Matisse Thibel as well. Um, just kind of depends on what Brett Brown wants to do with the small forward and the shooting guard spot. Yeah, I mean, looking at the sort of, it's probably one of the only positions where I think the Nets have 
uh, a bit more strength and depth. Um, I, I think that Ben Simmons is probably, you know, at Ben Simmons and Kyrie have been the two best players quite clearly in this sort of class of players. But then mm-hmm. you argue about the depth that the Nets have at the guard position, I think is probably one of the positions out of any team in the NBA where they probably, it's their real strength. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Savert are both, you know, near all-star level caliber players at uh, their positions at the two, the one, whatever you want to call them, at the guard position. Um, and Josh Richardson is a, an incredibly capable sort of role, you know, sort of superstar role player in, in, in terms of what he's going to be in Philadelphia. And it's proven it in Miami as sort of like a number one guy as well. Um, but I think the depth is where you probably give the Nets just a, a slight edge. Um, you know, there's some pieces that could pop off with Philadelphia. You know, I think a lot of people are high on Zaire Smith. You know, Furkan Korkmaz can hit some some shots every now and then. And Raul Neto was a nice sort of Pete for nice sort of piece um, out in, in Utah. And then, you know, Trey Burke, I think it was a nice little acquisition to add some depth as well because he's proven it uh, as well in, in the teams that he sort of played. He knows how to hit a few buckets. So uh, I'd give the Nets the slight edge. Um, but you could certainly make an argument for the Sixers because they just have a lot of top-end talent too. Well, see, with the Sixers, I am a diehard Sixers fan, but I have to be, you know, both optimistic and pessimistic at the same time just because <laughs> you basically – you're looking at a team that's kind of rebuilt all the way around except, you know, obviously a couple of the big pieces that they have on their team. But their their bench, you know, Josh Richardson coming in. Um, it the, the question I have for Josh Richardson, is he going to go from – he was teetering on being a number one guy in Miami – and now he's really going to be, you know, the fourth, fifth option, um, depending on on how the the lineup shake out, just on the rotations in, in that lineup. More so, probably the the fifth option. Um, so that's a question mark there. Then you get to the bench, and you've got a lot of unproven guys. Zaire Smith basically coming off the injury last year, didn't play a ton. He's very raw. He's yes, he's athletic. Um, he can shoot a little bit from three, but he doesn't do anything that. I think where Brett Brown right now can feel confident throwing him on the floor for for major minutes. So that's where I think you're going to see Furkan Korkmaz kind of maybe slide into that role to begin just because he's, you know, kind of proven in the Sixers system. Um, And then uh, Matisse Theibel, very good defender. If he can, you know, expand on what he showed in um, the summer league with this three-point shooting, I think he might see a little bit more time because of his defensive prowess than Zaire Smith will see. Then you get to the point guard, the backup point guards. You have Trey Burke, who obviously can fill it up, um, doesn't play defense at all, which is going to be tough to to put him on the floor for long stretches. But then you have Raul Neto, who kind of commands the offense. If he can keep his turnovers down and hit the outside shot, I think he's an upgrade, obviously, over TJ McConnell, who refused to shoot last year um, pretty much at all. Um, and then you can throw Shake Milton in there, but I don't I don't really see a ton of minutes for him. He's still that kind of raw tweener of a two-guard point guard. So, yeah, I definitely agree. I give, give the edge to the Nets by far. Yeah, I mean, just based off of, you know, what we know about the Nets, just a lot more proven guys. And like Jack mentioned, we got the clear-cut Kyrie Irving top-level point guard. Then you got Karis Avert and Dinwiddie, who were – possibly all-star caliber players. Then you look at Garrett Temple, proven NBA guard. David Nwaba can bring that defense. If you're considering Joe Harris here, you know, one of the best three-point shooters. And like Pete mentioned, you know, Ben Simmons, we know what we're getting with him. We know what we're getting with Richardson to an extent because his role is going to change so much. But everyone else is kind of like 
what's their role going to be and how much are they going to contribute to this team. So obviously edge to the Nets. And like Jack mentioned, this is an area the Nets are probably going to have an edge in against most teams in the NBA. But moving on to the forwards. Before we go on there, I was just going to say, this is probably the area where the Nets were able to sort of exploit the advantage against the Sixers last season as well. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be one sort of weak point for the Sixers going forward is how they guard opposing, you know, backcourts in that sort of sense. Yes, Josh Richardson is great. Um, and you know you could you have a, a defensive sort of you know sort of stalwart as a young player in Matisse Tybel as well, um, but I think that that's an area where a lot of other teams can exploit. Despite the fact that the Sixers are just goddamn huge, you know mm-hmm. I think that they can be exploited by the fact that you know Kyrie Irving is incredibly crafty. You know the the sort of smaller, really talented guards. You know if they were to make the finals against a um, a, a team like the the Golden State Warriors, if they were to make it, you know guarding you know Stephen Curry and D'Angelo Russell would be would be tricky for them but I think because of the way the makeup is around the NBA right now there's a lot of like wing depth and size going around Uh, I think the Brooklyn Nets against the Sixers if for when they do come up against them are a nice matchup and we sort of saw that you know to a very minor extent in last year's playoffs yeah pick and roll defense was obviously an issue for the Sixers at different points especially for guys that could hit that mid-range or that teardrop D'Lo had some big games against them obviously that didn't happen in the playoffs but great point Jack but moving on to forwards obviously KD's Going to be out for the beginning of the season. It's looking like we probably are going to see him in 2020 at some point. Obviously, I'm being extremely optimistic here. But the rest of the Nets forward, we're looking at Torian Prince, Rodion Skaroods, Wilson Chandler, and like I mentioned, Joe Harris kind of flip-flops between guard and forward. Pete, who we got on the Sixer side? So you've got um, Tobias Harris and Al Horford as the starters. Al Horford sliding over from previous role of center um, the last, what, 10 years or more. Yeah. Um, into, you know, a power forward spot, which I'm a little worried about that. Um, Jonah Bolden's the backup. Um, well, third string center or third string center backup, you know, power forward. Then you've got Mike Scott, James Ennis on the wing. Um, you could kind of throw Carlo Quinn at backup power forward, backup center. So that kind of uh, variates there. And then, like I mentioned previous, you could also play Furkan Korkmaz or Matisse Thibel, um, you know, at the small forward spots as well. Yeah, I think the Nets have more capable guys, but the the top end depth, you know, Tobias Harris, Al Horford are just great NBA players. Whereas mm-hmm. the Nets don't have a great NBA player at the position of most importance, I think. You know, if you start Carlos Levert at the three, which is, I believe, is the, the best way forward. Torian Prince needs to make some improvements defensively. Um, he can hit the three-point shot and I think is a better offensive player than defensive player, despite the fact that, you know, he's sort of compared, I, I know Corey sort of defend, compared him, you know, on the full access hoops with you, Nick, to a sort of Damari Cal type. He has a long way to go as a defender. I think he can get there. Wilson Chandler sort of that sort of, Mike Scott version, I guess. You might take Mike Scott over him at this point in time, but who knows what Wilson Chandler could prove. Uh, Rodion's Chris proved himself as a starter, but he's still very, very raw. Uh, so I, I, I think you, it, it's a clear tick for the Philadelphia Sixers in this sort of regard. But, you know, the Nets have some sort of, if you're combining all the guys together, you know, there's a sort of like a middle ground that the Nets have that's really good. Uh, whereas the, the Sixers have probably a wider range where it's like there's some real top-end stuff and then there's some just some guys there as well. I, I think for me, if you had KD and he was healthy and you slid KD up to the, you know, small ball four and you had Karis LeVert there at small four, it would be a clear win, to, in my yeah. opinion, um, to the Nets. But if we're looking at it for this year, like you said, it's a it's more of a teetering towards advantage for the Sixers just because of everything that Al Horford brings. 
passing the ball. Um, his vision is incredible. His ability to obviously score in the post, shoot the three ball, it's going to help. The question mark, and it's a big question mark for me, they threw all that money at Tobias Harris. He's sliding down from the power forward spot back to the small forward spot where he played previous in his career. But his three-point shot, he only shot 32% in the regular season in 27 games for the Sixers and then only 35% in the playoffs for the Sixers. And, I mean, he forced a lot of stuff that just, you know, didn't even look good on the floor. I think he was pressing like, hey, I've got to find a rhythm, and it just wasn't there. And for me, I feel like, you know, James Ennis did a a good job defending the wing um, in small spurts. But if you get past, say there's an injury to Tobias Harris, it's it's going to be kind of murky for the Sixers going forward. And that's where I'm a little bit worried overall for the bench depth because they've got to find a way to rest guys like Embiid, especially Horford. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about moving him to the backup five in, in a bulk of minutes. And I'm like, you cannot wear him out because he's key to a playoff run. Um, and then you've got to find rest for, for Ben Simmons because – he goes through those lapses where he might score 30 in a game and have a near triple double. Then the next game he's scoring six points and, you know, four rebounds, four assists. And I'm like, who, what, what are you doing, dude? Like you're an all-star, <laughs> like you can't be doing this in the playoffs. Like we need you. And um, so I just worry about how much money they threw, you know, to develop a roster that, you know, may not necessarily be for the long term. And then you flip over to Brooklyn and you're like, man, they got, you know, they, they've got talent for now. They've got, you know, talent for a year or two from now. And then they've got talent for three, four years from now. So um, I don't know. I just, I like the way that, you know, Brooklyn executed um, building their team a little bit better. Yeah. I think like you guys mentioned, the Sixers have that top end talent right now. Al Horford, Tobias Harris, very good. When KD's back, it gets a little bit closer, but like Pete mentioned, long-term you kind of like what the Nets have because we haven't seen the best of Torian Prince. We haven't seen the best of Rodion. So there's a lot of potential there. And like we mentioned, we're considering Karras here. Definitely haven't seen the best of him. So right now, I think Sixers, because just those two guys are really, really good. Like Tobias Harris and Al Horford. But Pete, I do have a question for you. You mm-hmm. kind of hinted at it. What do you think about like having Tobias Harris and Al Horford have to defend the three and the four now? Like this is a, a difference oh, for both man. guys. It's going to be tough because the 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 number one worry I have is the Sixers defense. Cause I think it's going to take a, a big swing backwards because now you have these guys that are bigger, they're slow footed and they're going to have to guard. Like you mentioned earlier, the pick and roll and they're going to have to guard wings that are faster. Like today's wings are not like, you know, basically even, even the guys that play power forward are going to be faster. Like I can't imagine a Al Horford sticking with a Zion Williamson you know, charging down the lane, you know, that kind of athleticism. Um, It's going to be tough. They're going to have to get creative where, you know, you have Josh Richardson pretty much guarding the the best perimeter guys. So say it's Brooklyn, I would put Josh Richardson on Kyrie and hope for the best there. Um, I would say probably Ben Simmons on Karis LeVert. you know, and you kind of go down the line from there, but then you get to guys like Torian Prince. Like, you know, if Torian Prince is playing the four, like there's no way out Horford's going to be able to stop him, you know, on the perimeter. Like he's going to have to go out and guard guys on the perimeter now. Like, I don't know that that's the, you know, the best route. And you can't switch Joel 
on him and say, Joel, you go out on the perimeter and, and guard these guys because he's going to be exhausted. And then the offensive end, you're going to see him like he often does try to force up, you know, bad looks instead of taking his time and, and they'll start settling for, for threes and, in, in, uh, you know, trailing threes in transition. And that's not what you want either. So really worried, um, you know, kind of going forward um, how that works out because, like I mentioned, they, they're going to go backwards. Let's see, they were uh, 15th in defensive rating last year. I don't know that that stays there because you had Jimmy Butler. You know, we know what he can can be as a as a defender, and he cleaned up a lot of messes. Um, you know, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that was my biggest concern. I think for the Philly team was the actual team speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, the overall scheme, you know, on both ends of the floor, Brett Brown is really going to earn his keep as a coach this season. And he's had to do that. You know, he's been forced to sort of cha- chop and change, you know, quite consistently. And there's, you know, a lot of people, you know, in Sixers Twitter and, and just NBA Twitter in general who are low on him. Some people are a little bit high on him. But when we get to the coaching thing, I think... He's going to really, if he can form some sort of system that, you know, allows for the strengths of the Sixers in terms of their size, in terms of their intelligence, in terms of their talent, then, you know, they they can be, you know, a really capable defensive team because they have really, really good individual defenders. You know, Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Joel Embiid are some of the best defenders in the league. Josh Richardson as well. You know, if, if Tobias Harris is your first, fifth worst defender in a starting lineup, that's not too bad because he's athletic, mm-hmm. he's long, uh, and you, you make him guard the, the fifth worst guy. It's not too bad but you obviously there's size and, and athleticism and, and lateral quickness sort of concerns there so I think yeah how the sort of scheme is on both ends of the floor for Brett Brown is going to be yeah, certainly intriguing yeah 100 percent. that's a really great point Jack the scheme is going to be really interesting because these guys do all have some really good defensive skills it's just trying to get the best out of them and making sure teams can't expose you know the few things that they don't do well but talking about centers obviously on the net side we got Jared Allen DeAndre Jordan Nick Claxton Pete who we got on the sixer side so you got Joel Embiid and then backing him up looks like it's probably going to be Al Horford um, you'll throw a spot minutes at Kyle Quinn and Jonah Bolton can kind of slide over and play a little bit there as well and then their two-way is Norville uh, Pelé um, not going to play hardly at all unless it's the end of the season and they're resting guys, you know, come, uh, you know, for the playoff stretch. So in this, it's obviously it's going to point to the Sixers because they have an MVP candidate. They have, you know, uh, a possible, you know, finals MVP candidate from an article written on OTGBasketball.com uh, when it comes to Joel Embiid. Um, but the cumulative, you know, talents of DeAndre Jordan and, and Jared Allen, similar to sort of last season with Ed Davis uh, and, and the young center, you know, how much does that make up for the lack of sort of stardom at that position? You know, the, uh, you give the tick to the nets when it comes to depth and capable minutes. But at the same time, you know, you're going to have 48 capable minutes if you're, you know, staggering the minutes correctly uh, if you're Brett Brown and the sort of the the assistant coaching team if you're staggering the minutes we have Al Horford playing the five position when Joel Embiid isn't out there then they might have the best defensive center rotation you know easily in the NBA that it'll be the fear of many and you're not going to want to get inside against those two guys so it's a it's a definite clear tick um for, for Philly in this one. But, you know, the, the Nets are okay in that regard. And, you know, I don't think there are many teams in the league that can compete with the amount of uh, quality rotation minutes that you get in Al Horford and Joel Embiid. And, you know, to like uh, Pete mentioned, sort of the spot-up minutes, don't hate Kyle Quinn either. No, they, the, the biggest thing is, is how can they keep guys rested, healthy, um, 
the number one thing, and I hope it comes out by the time they, they, you know, get to training camp and start doing interviews and stuff like that. I hope they really worked on Joel Embiid's diet, number one, and then his conditioning, number two. Um, I know it was out there that, you know, he ordered tons of Chick-fil-A, you know, at one time in the milkshakes, but he didn't drink them all and stuff. But I'm like, dude, you look like you downed a couple milkshakes you know, out of that, you know, out of that bunch that you got. And and Landry Shamit kind of threw, threw him under the bus after he went to the Clippers. I thought it was kind of funny, but um, I don't know. I think I think the experience of Al Horford is going to play the biggest role because when you look at it, he's going to be able to mentor Joel, like, hey, calm down, take your time, you know, execute your offense, you know, don't settle out for, you know, three-point shots. All right, here's where you can, you know, find a little rest while you're still playing on the court. You know, different nuances that Joel may not have gotten previously um, with some of the some of the vets that um, you know, they had there. Then you have Kyle Quinn. If he can step out and knock down the three-point shot, now he, he's never really shot it well, percentage-wise, but he can knock that shot down. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to kind of slide into some some spot minutes and contribute there. But, yeah, I definitely say the that's the main advantage, and that's where the Sixers need to look to really make that their force. Hey, go to, go to Embiid as much as possible and then get Horford the ball because then Horford can make passes out of the post um, find guys that way as they're cutting into the basket because they don't really they lose the three-point shooting in Redick especially but it's not the end-all be-all they can find other ways with cutters and you know pick and roll and different things like that so yeah I mean you guys have pretty much nailed that obviously Sixers have the edge here and they have the luxury now and Pete mentioned this as being crucial for this season is trying to find a rest for Embiid and Al Horford and now like hey, Embiid's not playing, okay, we're starting Horford at center, or, you know, Horford's not playing, Embiid's going to play at center. And Kyle Quinn, I don't mind him either. I think you got you mentioned he can knock down a three-point shot. He's a really good passer for a big two. So I think having Kyle Quinn in there, and when he's playing with other good players, it makes his life a lot easier. And you mentioned Jonah Bolden, who I thought had some decent flashes last year, obviously still needs to develop a lot, but I think they're looking really good at center. And pro- like Jack mentioned, probably one of the best center groups in the league. I don't think anybody can really put – you know, Al Horford and Joel Embiid out there in comparison for center minutes. There's really not a team out there. Nope. But getting over to coaching, Kenny Atkinson versus Brett Brown. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because people are – I think that there is a middle ground to the, the Brett Brown love and the incensed Brett Brown hate that <laughs> I think is a little <laughs> bit unfair from my uh, – fellow Aussie brethren, but um, <laughs> Brett Brown, has a, I, I don't think he's ever been given sort of consistency as a coach. And I think consistency in general as a player or coach, you know, allows you to sort of produce results, you know, create routines um, and impart those routines and such on the likes of your playing roster. So I think that this season is where we should fully judge Brett Brown as a coach. I, I think there's still like, you know, just a question mark around him. Um, despite the fact that, you know, I think that, over the past few seasons, uh, it, it seems just weird that we're sort of judging you know, the fact that, you know, if that ball um, had have gone in, you know, Brett Brown would have just been seen as this, you know, almost savior to an extent. Uh, you know, there were talks about him getting fired. And it's just the, the discrepancy uh, around him and the, and the narrative around him is almost, it baffles me a little bit. Um, I think he's a good coach. Um, I, I think there's a lot of areas that he is unproven in that I can't judge. But I think this season is going to be the sort of season where we go, okay, this is what Brett Brown is like as a coach. 
Whereas with Kenny Atkinson, you already know what he is like as a coach. And yes, he can grow. And yes, he has some ways to go in terms of we need to know what he can be like managing superstars now. But we know what he's like in terms of what the, the style of basketball he likes to play, um, the culture that he likes to create. He's a player development sort of guy. Um, there is a sort of narrative. There is we know what Coach Kenny is. So uh, I guess it, it depends on how you judge it. I, I think they're almost even in the sense because Brett Brown has proven it and he has dragged his team to, to play up playoff and postseason appearances whereas Kenny you know uh, I think is a, still a very good coach and a coach of the year candidate last season too um, I find it hard to sort of separate these two because there's so many discerning discernible factors when you're sort of judging them against each other I'd probably go Kenny just because you know I know him a bit better um, but Brett Brown is just so hard to judge individually yeah with with Brett Brown like you said he's got to make a lot of adjustments as far as lineups um, I think he does a great job of trying to build personal relationships with his players but i think that when times get tough he kind of reverts back to let's just go to joel and let's just go to ben simmons he's not like ultra creative with his offense and part of that was you had jimmy butler in there last year and um you know he kind of took over the the point guard role at times and and you know really kind of bailed them out because i think that if like you said, Jack, if if the ball had not fallen in for Kawhi Leonard, we would have be having a whole different discussion because I I believe that the Sixers you know could have made it to the finals personally, but you know it didn't work out that way. Now a lot more pressure is going to be on Brett Brown than there was before because now he has no excuse. You've you know paid all this money to Al Horford. You bring him in as a you know basically as your four. You move off of Jimmy Butler and, and J.J. Redick. You bring in Josh Richardson and bring back Tobias Harris. Tons of pressure is going to be on them to win the Eastern Conference this year. And I would not be shocked if they lose early. I don't think it's going to happen. But if they lose early in playoffs, I wouldn't be shocked if they go in a different direction um, just because Brett Brown's been there for so long and they'd look for a different voice to re-energize the offense, so to speak. Um because that's going to be the big question mark. What is going to be different this year with the the guys coming in? Are you still going to let Joel Embiid shoot those trailing threes? Are you going to let Ben Simmons kind of go invisible with no jump shot to speak of? Like all of those things kind of factor in. Then you flip over to Kenny Atkinson and you look at the job that he did with that you know team, basically starting what six and six, I believe it was, um, to you know start the season. Um, and then they went on the 20 to six run, um, in December. Like, I mean, come on, like nobody expected Brooklyn to do as well as, as that. Well, maybe you guys did, but no, um, I mean, we were, we were down when Karis LeVert went down. I mean, uh, the season was not looking promising and then they had the long losing streak and I mean, credit to Kenny. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you, you develop D'Angelo Russell into an all-star. I don't think many people saw it this quickly for him. Um, and then Karis LeVert, I mean, just phenomenal player. Then you get great play out of Spencer Dinwiddie. Just just the development of Frodeon's Curics, um, you know, all the way around. I mean, I I like Kenny Atkinson a lot because living in Atlanta, um, going to Hawks games, I mean, I, I got to see him a, a bunch just working out with players, you know, before the game and just, just the way that he, you know, was real meticulous on different things. And, you know, he is a, a, a more – um, outspoken 
um, authoritative kind of voice, I think, than, than Brett Brown kind of can be. Because I think although Brett Brown can be louder, I don't know that he's stepping in and telling you know Joel and Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler at the time a lot of different things. He kind of let them do their own thing. And I think that's where Brett Brown fell short. Like he really has to command that locker room. But I think the edge to the locker room might go to Kenny because he has, you know, shown the results on the court. And then his voice in the locker room is is being authoritative, but also being able to develop guys in key moments of of the season. And I don't know. For me, it's it's even it's hard for me to pick against Brett Brown just because I'm a Sixers fan and I, I believe he's a, a very good coach. I don't think he's a great coach, but I think he's a very good coach. So Right now, I'm going to go with, with Brett Brown, you know, slight edge. Yeah, I think, it, like, when Jack brought it up, it's really uh, interesting because these guys have had such different roles and the type of expectations. And I think Brett Brown's career has been really interesting from going from the tanking teams to now having teams that have real expectations. And it seemed like it all happened so fast, too. I think uh, the one thing I probably like about Kenny, I like his just his system and his scheme. It's just more modern NBA. And like you kind of mentioned with uh, Brett Brown, like sometimes his scheme can get a little bit basic or he just goes back to what kind of works. And uh, I think that kind of hurts them. And just like one thing that really popped in my mind when you talk about Kenny being a little bit more authoritative was like, would Brett Brown uh, bench D'Angelo Russell in the fourth quarter if he did something he didn't like? And then hypothetically, it was the Sixers like bench, you know, Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. I think you're more likely to see that from Kenny. So I like Kenny as a slight nod right now, but I think Brett Brown is a good coach and it gets a lot of hate. And I remember like your guys were talking about last year, there was talk in the net series that that went to seven that they'd consider letting him go, you know, in the next round if they lost. But obviously going seven with the NBA champions, you know, you're not really going to fire a guy. But I think Kenny has a slight edge, but I don't think this is a big, big differential between these two coaches. I think we'll have a lot better idea about these guys after this upcoming season because now there's no excuse for Brett Brown not to come up with a scheme to make all these guys work because they're not added during the season. They're added in the offseason. He has a couple months to do that. Now, Kenny, we get a better idea of how he can manage big personalities because he's never had a guy like Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant on his team. Great point. Now, what are you guys thinking in terms of chemistry? I was kind of talking to Jack off air before we started. This is an interesting thing because, I mean, the Sixers probably had less turno- uh, turnover, but the both teams have a lot of new faces. Yeah, they certainly do. Um, I think that it depends on how you how you project the chemistry to go through either of these teams. You know, it could be an absolute you know shit show in in Brooklyn if if Kyrie continues what you know he is the sort of cancer that you know a lot of people sort of portray him as. Um, you know, that's the sort of flaw, and it's just the the worst case scenario. And the, there's a there's a worst case scenario in Philadelphia as well. You know, Ben and and Joel. You know, I think you know there's the tension. There could be tension there. Um, you know, Ben doesn't improve, or it's it's he realizes that you know he's not going to realize the fullest of his potential. He wants his own team, or who knows what could happen there. But I think the presence of Al Horford in Philadelphia, um, I think, is almost like a. I said this to Nick off air, a, a semi sort of replacement for what JJ Redick was as a sort of veteran presence um, and, and a, a guy who was just a, a sort of calming influence, you know, a, a low ego guy who can still produce at a ridiculously high level as a basketball player. And I think, you know, is going to be a mentor in a lot of ways to a lot of these different guys, knows how to communicate, um, is really, you know, goes under the radar almost to a T. 
Um, so I think that if you're given the chemistry, if, you, if you're comparing them, I'd probably give it to Philly because like you mentioned, Nick, there is consistency um, going forward. And, you know, I think the chemistry is going to be built off. It's built off your star players. You know, the, the city loves Joel. The city loves Ben. Um, despite the fact that they can uh, they can boo the the Aussie brethren a, a little bit, so mm-hmm. if that continues, there could be some chemistry issues just with the surrounding the fact that you know Ben Simmons could be getting jealous of Joel Embiid, like I sort of mentioned a little bit earlier. But um, I think the chemistry within the Brooklyn Nets, you know, because Kyrie and Jondre have that sort of buddy uh, buddy relationship, and Karis Levert and Kyrie are hanging out at WNBA games. You know, Kyrie's there's the group chat as uh, Karis Levert said on the jump. Uh, on the WhatsApp where Kyrie's setting up, you know, workouts in LA, which funnily enough has happened in previous seasons as well for the Brooklyn Nets. But it's nice to see the leader of the team uh, doing that and Spencer and Kyrie have a relationship as well. So I think both of these teams are going to have some pretty good chemistry, but, you know, there's going to be issues throughout the season, you know, maybe not chemistry just within the players, but chemistry, you know, between the players and coaches and the like. So uh, it's never a, 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 a non-rocky road, but you take out Jimmy Butler as well. Um, because his sort of early chemistry issues were, were made known, especially with Brett Brown. Uh, maybe that makes the chemistry better, but it certainly doesn't make the team better. Um, but, you, you know, sometimes a volatile situation, you know, you want that combustibility. We, we saw it in Cleveland, despite the fact that there have been comments, you know, surrounding them that were are a little bit negative. They still want a championship, and Philadelphia, with their current iteration, can win a championship as well. Yeah, for me, I think... I'm going to give the the edge to the Sixers because you've got Tobias coming back. You've got Joel and you've got Ben Simmons. They, they know kind of how to play together now. Um, and then Al Horford is going to fit in, you know, seamlessly. Like he's going to find his role. Now he may struggle as far as shooting the ball, like, you know, on offense, but he's going to be able to make passes. He's going to be able to rebound a little bit. He's going to be able to play defense and, and really help as a veteran mentor in that aspect. And then you've got Josh Richardson who, Yes, he's coming from kind of being the number one, number two guy in, in um, Miami. Now he's going to kind of have to take a back seat. But I think he's going to focus more on the defensive side of the ball and then, you know, kind of fitting in like kind of how Tobias Harris did last season, find the shots where he can, um, and they'll adjust that way. On the, the net side of it, the big worry, obviously, you know, is Kyrie, is he going to come in as a – you know, engaged Kyrie ready to adapt to the culture and grow from that bad Celtics experience? Or is he going to kind of pout and say, well, I'm just going to wait on Durant because this season's kind of a, you know, I'll do what I can, but it's going to kind of be a me thing. I don't think that's going to happen, but at the same time, that's where Kenny Atkinson's going to have to step in and really help him as far as on the court. Let Kyrie, you know, cater to, to Kyrie's strengths a little bit let him do his thing. And then in the locker room say, Hey, you know, we've got to keep this, you know, this bonding experience build on that. Um, Don't forget that Kevin Durant is there also. So Kevin Durant's going to, even though he's not playing, is going to be a huge voice as far as in Kyrie's ear um, and Karis LeVert's ear, guys like that. So uh, although I think the, the Sixers, you know, have the edge as far as chemistry issues, the only thing I just I worry about with the Nets is is making sure that that Kyrie's you know engaged for the right reasons. Otherwise, they're they'll be fine. Yeah, I honestly think both teams will be fine. I think you just lean to the Sixers in this situation because, like Pete said, they've had guys that played more time together last year. I think 
if Kyrie buys in the culture and it seems like Jack mentioned already hanging out with guys in LA and developing a relationship with Karis and Spencer. And then you got, I think like a, a one really nice thing for the Nets that people aren't talking about is like having DeAndre there as much as like, he's not the same NBA player he was, he's still a really good guy to have in the locker room. And he seems like a really likable guy by a lot of NBA players. So I think the Sixers have the edge, but I'm not really nervous about the Nets chemistry. I think it's a lot of the Kyrie stuff from Boston has been overblown, as we've seen from other reports from like Jackie McMullen and then also Marcus Smart coming out and saying he's a great teammate. So I think chemistry is pretty close, but the Sixers have the edge here because they're just bringing back more guys. Now, offensively, which team has the edge? Uh, offensively, I still think it's probably the the Philadelphia 76ers because they have Tobias Harris. They have... Joel Embiid. They have Al Horford. He's a pretty good offensive player. Ben Simmons, despite the fact that you know he has one glaring weakness in his game, has so many other strengths in his game as an offensive player. Um, it's almost unheard of. Whereas I think the Nets have Kyrie Irving, who is probably, you know, if you're talking pure offense, probably maybe the best offensive player out of each of the teams. But um, you know, I think outside of that, you know, you're looking at Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, um, these sort of guys. You know, if you have Kevin Durant in this mix, you know, I think that would be probably having a bit more of a conversation. But it's the Sixers. If you had Kevin Durant, the conversation would be Brooklyn, um, in my opinion, just because I think Kyrie and and Kevin Durant, and then you throw in Karis LeVert. I like you know that three versus the three of Simmons, um, Embiid, and then you could flip flop Horford or. Harris in there. I, I like Brooklyn side of it, but taking KD out of the equation for this season, it's going to go to the Sixers just because of the multitude of options they have um, one through five. Like if somebody doesn't have it that night, they really have a capable guy um, that could step in, you know, out of that five. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's an edge right now, you know, to the Sixers just because of that, you know, versatility of, of guys being able to step in. Yeah, see, I actually am on the opposite end of you guys. I like what the Nets have more offensively because I think the Sixers are probably going to be looking to slow down the pace of a game more having so much size. So you look at the Nets having such an athletic team, a young team, getting out in transition, getting buckets, and then obviously clearly the Nets have more spacing than the Sixers. And playmaking-wise, you know, they have Al Horford in the forward section, but you have three really good playmakers in Kyrie, Spencer, and Karras and other guys that can kind of develop in that area. So I think offensively, I think the Nets are going to be a good offensive team. On the defensive end is where I'm more concerned. I think there's just also a lot of versatility for Kenny Atkinson with the lineups he can put out that he just didn't have the option last year. He didn't necessarily have capable players to play at every position all the time, especially when he wanted to put somebody at the four. So I think offensively, the Nets spacing just makes their offense run smoother, where I think the Sixers can have issues offensively because at times they're just going to be so congested because the lack of three-point shooting I think you know between Al Horford or Richardson somebody's going to have to shoot a good percentage from three because we know Tobias Harris will probably get better from three the you know last year I think it was just like Pete mentioned he was just trying to four shots Joel Embiid you hope he's not really shooting a ton of threes Ben Simmons obviously shooting in the summer but I don't think he's going to start shooting threes next year maybe we'll see a mid-range jumper I just worry about the spacing on the Sixers offense because everything's going to be so congested where most guys in that team, their best skill is probably attacking inside. The, despite the fact that the Nets have a lot of three-point shooting talent, they've never put it all together. And I think maybe this season might be the season where it all happens. You know, we've never really finished that high. And yes, obviously, it's such an important part of Coach Kenny's scheme. But, you know, the bail and end isn't necessarily three-point shooting. You know, if you're the San Antonio Spurs, you're the best three-point shooting team in the league, but you're not a great offensive team. Um, they you know, also the shot the least amount of threes in the league. 
I agree. I agree. I mean, it's 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 all relative. You know, Boston always tend to shoot pretty well, despite the fact that you know they don't really ha- they didn't really have a heap of three point talent on paper. There was no like three point marksman um, for them. You know, I think that we. I know that you love your pace and spacing, but I think it tends to be sometimes a little bit overvalued because. You know, I think that you can still play winning basketball, good offensive basketball, without having you know, you know, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, um, and Kevin Durant on on the floor as you know, three disgustingly good perimeter shooters. I think Philadelphia still have a really good amount of offensive talent. I think that you know, maybe the addition of Al Horford makes Joel Embiid a more effective three point shooter because he's not taking and forcing up these shots. Um, It'll be interesting to see, certainly. But I agree that the Nets have a bit more sort of perimeter sort of spacing and depending on how you value offense overall. Um, you know, I think that the Nets might have a little bit of an edge there. But I think that Philadelphia still have just um, some great individual talent on paper. And again, it sort of harks back to the comments we've sort of been talking about when it came to coaching. You know, Brett Brown's going to have to put that all together and schematically uh, in terms of offensive schemes, whereas we know what Coach Kenny likes to run. And you know, the new additions with, with Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan, you know, the pick and roll is going to be pretty nasty there. Kyrie's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. We know what he can do with the ball in his hand in terms of creating his own offense. Um, but there aren't a lot of guys, I guess, you know, you know, going against my own point, that can create their own offense with the ball in their hands um, on Philadelphia. Yes, Tobias Harris can do it. But, you know, the points that Keith made about um, Tobias Harris early on, you know, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do now because, you know, Jimmy Butler's out, so that gives him some more touches. Um, we've seen him be just an incredibly consistent offensive player on both ends of the floor. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how these two teams rank on that end of the floor because I think that that's where the, the closest will be because when we get to defense, it's almost a wash. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I would say, I don't think uh, you necessarily need to shoot an amazing three-point percentage, but I think it's also more so about them respecting you defensively, uh, offensively, because you look last year in the finals, even though you know Golden State had Clay and Steph, they had three other guys on the floor that could not shoot, so now their stars can't have room to operate. I think that's what I'm looking for in terms of like pace and space is like, do the Sixers have enough room to operate? It's going to be up to Brett Brown to get that scheme running correctly so we can get the best out of those guys. Like you mentioned, we kind of already know what Kenny's going to run. And essentially what he's doing is just upgrading some of the players he had last year with better offensive players. Yeah, in terms yeah. of that three-point shooting, just to finish it off, like Karis, if Karis LeVert doesn't take the next step as a three-point shooter, you could make an argument that as a collective, the starting five of the Philadelphia 76ers, they have four good to average to good players and, you know, above average with Tobias Harris, despite his numbers weren't great last season. You know, he is still, you know, a very good three-point shooter across his career. You know, Kyrie is great. Joe Harris is great. Karras is, you know, unproven. Torian Prince is great. DeAndre Jordan isn't, you know, a, a spacer at all. Whereas Drill and Big can space. Al Horford, we know can space. George Richardson is very good. And, you know, the catch-and-shoot numbers have been made very well, very well known. Uh, it's just Ben Simmons who is the the anomaly. So Ben Simmons is the DeAndre Jordan, if you will. So um, it's it's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I, I'm not really buying like Embiid as a good three point shooter. I think they somewhat respect him, but if I'm like playing defense, I would hope Embiid shoots it because I don't. Pete would know this probably off the top of his head. I don't think Embiid shot over 35 percent from three his entire career, right? Uh, no, not that I know of. I'll double check it just to be. Oh, actually, well, I mean, he played. Uh, 31 games, 36.7% in the first year. 26, yeah, in the first year. But and then last two years, 30%. Yeah, yeah, not not good. And and the thing with with Embiid is is it's usually the trailing threes where yeah. like he just kind of forces it, and then you get that pump fake drive. Like 
so he's not really looking to to fire it up a ton, um, like kind of on his own. Um, flipping over to Brooklyn, the only thing I worry is if with Kyrie and in, in the offense is 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 over dribbling. Is he going to be able to find guys like Joe Harris on the perimeter for for open looks? Um, that's going to be key. And then what does Kyrie? And obviously he's a phenomenal ball handler. To me, he's probably the best ball handler um, in the league. What does that do to Karis LeVert as far as who who really needs the ball in his hands, um, you know, to be successful? How does that, number one, how does that hinder him? And number two, does that help him expand his game off the ball and being able to kind of create from there and then improve that three-point shooting? That's That would be my question marks. But I think, think overall Kenny Atkins is going to be able to figure it out quicker with the Nets than Brett Brown will be with the Sixers if Ben Simmons still does not take a jump shot because that's going to be what kills the entire offense because then that means you're going to have to move either Horford or Embiid more towards the perimeter and that's not what you want um, for a majority of the game. Then you're relying on Tobias Harris to shoot over 35, 36% from three. And then Josh Harris, that's a lot of pressure to, or Josh Richardson, that's a lot of pressure to, to put on him to, to really become a marksman. So I'll be curious to see kind of how it turns out. Yeah, I think both teams offensively, there's some questions. And I do agree. I think Karis Avert and Kyrie's relationship on the court is going to be a big factor in kind of what happens with the Nets offense. You know, maybe Kyrie plays a little bit more off ball than expected. Maybe Ky- uh, Karis improves a lot on that. But moving to defense, what do we got? Sixes. It's not really even a conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not even it's not even close. No, um, I think you, you can talk about sort of, you know, guard sort of, you know, defensive sort of talent. But Ben Simmons, you know, he proved that, you know, he guarded DeAndre Russell out of the series, you know, and then backed it up, you know, against Toronto with some really nice defensive plays on Kawhi Leonard. He was one of the better defenders on, you know, the best player in today's game, um, you know, throughout their series. So uh, I think that the Sixers have some, you know, will be, if they're not a top five defensive team, you know, it'll be a disappointment. Um, whereas the Nets, you know, probably peak at top 12. Uh, I don't know that the Sixers, they may get to top five. I was thinking more somewhere in the top 10 area right. just because I, I don't know, like we talked about earlier, how being more slow-footed as far as guarding like today's stretch fours and, and just the athleticism and things like that, I think they'll struggle um, with some of that. So I'm curious to see kind of how that turns out. But I do agree that um, – Obviously, the Sixers have the edge because obviously you're looking at Kyrie Irving at the point guard spot. That's a kind of a big if um, for him to defend um, at, at you know even at a average to above average level, um, just because he focuses a lot on offense. But I think that the collective effort, you know, from DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen can can help you know at the basket as far as defending it. Um, you're going to have to look at Torrey and Prince maybe to improve as a defender there, um, whereas the Sixers do have guys that can switch like um, Richardson and uh, Harris. You know, outside of that, I mean, you could look at Ben Simmons as as being a, a decent defender, but to me, he's going to have to prove it night in and night out. And, and yeah. there's just so much more pressure this year on the Sixers than there's ever been. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens, but... Yeah, obviously you guys nailed it with the Sixers having the better defense. I mean, they had the best 
perimeter defender out of the bunch, and they also have the best, you know, team deep. They probably have the two best team defenders in Joel Embiid and Al Horford, having both those guys on a squad. And then, you know, there's plenty of other defensive talent on the roster, so not really much to talk about there. Uh, probably not much to talk about on the next topic either. Who's going to have a better season? Philly. Yeah, Philly. I mean, I have them slotted anywhere between uh, 51 and, and 55 games winning. And then uh, the Nets anywhere. I mean, it just depends on how fast they can gel anywhere from uh, 45 to 49, somewhere in that range. Um, I mean, pretty much Philly is just obviously everybody expects them to, to be better and they're going to be right there battling with Milwaukee for the top spot. Pretty much spot on again, guys. I mean, obviously the Sixers have higher expectations. They have a fully healthy roster as of right now. If Kevin Durant was healthy, we probably could have a better conversation about that, but we'll save that for next year. Who wins in a seven-game series? Obviously, it's going to probably be similar to the last answer. <laughs> yeah, it, it obviously depends on, like, if we had the, these teams right now, you know, would the, the series go longer than five games? I think you can make an argument for possibly because, you know, I think Kyrie Irving if he gets back to a semblance of his former self as a postseason performer, could seal a game or two. And, you know, if Karis LeVert obviously proved himself as being, you know, our best player performer in, in last season and was probably the best player against the Philadelphia 76ers from the, the Brooklyn Nets side of things. So, you know, I think the Nets, if uh, they could maybe seal two games, um, but uh, it, it's quite clearly and, and abundantly, you know, the Sixers. Jack, it's funny that you said six games because that's what I have in my notes. I said easily right. could go six. And the reason I say that is because Spencer Dinwiddie torched the Sixers. You've got a better offensive player in Kyrie Irving than than D'Angelo Russell. And and I think that, you know, exploiting kind of the mismatch of, of speed and kind of the versatility of the lineups that the Nets could throw out, they could easily um, get to. Now, I think you've got the veteran leadership of Al Horford um, and Bede, you know, helping him settle down into, you know, productive off efficient offense I should say um and then you know Ben Simmons just kind of putting the the team was back I think that's just going to be too much for Brooklyn to overcome now if KD was playing it'd be seven games all the way and I'd be a little bit worried just because of I'm really really high on Kevin Durant I always have been um just how much he can he can change a series so um but as it stands right now I would say six games the Sixers get it yeah, Sixers and six, I think that makes the most sense because you look at last year's series, obviously the Phillies a little bit better than, probably more than a little bit better than last year. And then you look at the Nets who definitely got better and they were pretty close to pushing at six last year. You know, a couple bounces, maybe a couple foul calls either way. And you're looking at six games. So I like that. And then if KD's healthy, I mean, it would be an excellent series. It would be, you know, and it would be a real like mismatch of uh, players across the board you know what i mean like there's just guys that are good at one thing other guys that are good at one thing right. and then you talk about the speed and then like the style of play it'd be a really fun series to see who came out and i think if katie was healthy and we saw these two teams in a seven game series that's where coaching would probably be the x factor but mm-hmm. um top five players between both teams um uh, you go joel and Bede, number one Kyrie Irving number two uh, ben Simmons, number three. Al Horford, number four. And uh, Tobias Harris, number five. That's just that, what I would probably say. Maybe Karis Avert, but I think Tobias Harris is, is a lot more proven. So are we going – so we're not going to include Durant because he's not uh, playing? Yeah, we were not going incru- to include Durant. Okay. I would say if Durant was healthy, he, if he was actually, you know, back to what we're seeing, he'd probably be number one. But, right. you know, we'll leave um, him out for now. 
All right, so I would I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it with Durant and then without Durant. Then, so if Durant was was healthy, it'd be Durant and Bead, Irving, um, Simmons, then Lavert. So if you take that out, then it'd be Embiid, Irving, um, Simmons, Lavert, and then I'm going to go with my gut says to to go with Al Horford. I'm going to say um, to put in there just because I I believe in him a little bit more than Tobias Harris right now. Same exact thing as you, Pete. I got Embiid, Kyrie, Simmons, Levert, and Horford. And then my six would be Harris. So I think when you look at it, you know, yep. the Sixers have four of the six, the six best players between these two teams. So obviously that says a lot. Yeah. But um, any other topics or thoughts you guys want to touch on before we get out of here? We're looking forward to watching the games between these two teams. You know, yeah. there's a, a a real sort of budding rivalry already that sort of started in in the postseason, despite the fact that uh, Jared Dudley's no longer a Brooklyn Net. There'll certainly <laughs> still be certainly still be a bit of fun and some fireworks. You know, Kyrie and Joel, two of the best players in, in their respective conference. Um, I think it's going to be you know the Atlantic Division is certainly stacked, and um, I'm really they're probably the games that I watch the most. And the Philadelphia probably the team that I watch the most outside of you know Brooklyn anyway, because you know Ben. Simmons love Aussie, all that sort of stuff. Love Joel Embiid, despite the fact that he can be a villain at times when he's not on your team. But it's going to be a fun season watching these two teams and what they can do. Yeah, I'm interested to see kind of how the rotation more so, because I kind of know how the Sixers rotation is going to play out for the most part. Maybe, um, you know, Furkan or somebody kind of swaps in and out, stuff like that. But with the Nets, just the depth that they have, because you can throw David Nwaba in there. You could throw Garrett Temple in there. Um, Wilson Chandler's got to play. You've got Rodion Curix. You've got Torian Prince. You've got guys that all could potentially start, you know, here and there um, throughout different games or play, you know, key rotational uh, minutes. But then some guys are going to have to sit. Um, so it, it's interesting how uh, to see how um, Kenny Atkinson is going to kind of change up the lineups, keep everybody happy because. I mean, David Nwaba, even though he's probably more on the, the backside of the roster, is a really good defender, um, versatile to play multiple positions. Garrett Temple, same thing. Wilson Chandler, if he can stay healthy, stretch forward and, you know, can play small forward. Torian Prince, same thing. You know, probably starts at the four, but then, you know, could play the small forward as well. Um, you can't give up on Rodeons because it's kind of like you don't want to say, oh, take a backseat to, to Torian Prince, even though you played a bunch last year because you don't want to lose – you know, key development time for him. Um, and then, you know, looking at the Sixer side, how well um, Al Horford and Josh Richardson are going to be able to integrate themselves into the lineup. And the last question I have for the Sixers, what's going to come off the bench to be able to be productive night in, night out? Because, you know, when times get tough throughout the season, they're really going to have to to key in on the the bench guys. And like we talked about before, the the bench is a little bit better for, um, Brooklyn right now so we'll we'll see but like you said Jack interesting to see the two teams play even though I think the Sixers have the advantage I'm not writing off Brooklyn at all um, this season everybody's like well they got Kyrie they I don't know that they may take a step back and be selfish Kyrie and I'm like I don't see it I, I see upgrades kind of all around the roster so if anything they're going to trend up from six they may not make it to you know the one two maybe even three spot but I could easily see four or five um you know, being pretty much probably four being a, a realistic uh, landing spot for them. Yeah, and I think you look at the development that Kenny's had of guys in the past and hoping that carries over. But that's a great point about the rotations for the Nets is, you know, guys are really going to compete 
and try to, you know, earn those minutes because there's not really a great difference in talent between a lot of these guys. They're at similar levels where it's like you're going to really have to earn the minutes. And great point about the Sixers, you know, the bench the last few couple seasons has been like, all right, you know, this could be better, especially going in the postseason. Who's going to give us minutes? I think it'd be interesting to watch them at the trade deadline. Also on the waiver wire, we saw a couple years ago when they picked up um, Irsan Eliasova and some who else? And Marco, Marco Bellinelli. Bellinelli. Yeah. yeah. That was a big-time addition, so I think that'd be something they're kind of hoping for. But, Pete, always a pleasure to have you on. Jack, always a pleasure recording pods with you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. You can check us out iTunes, Bob Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and NetsRepublic.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.